Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Hey, thanks for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. I just got back from a great weekend. This is going to air a little bit later, but uh, and when at the time we're recording this, I just got back from the National Speakers Association CSP CPAE Summit. Uh, and if you listen to the show enough, you know that the CSP is a designation, stands for Certified Speaking Professional, and I'm one of about 800 professional speakers in the world who have such a thing. And then the uh, the CPAE is the Speaker Hall of Fame, which I like to tell people, yes, there is a Speaker Hall of Fame. I'm not part of that, but uh, uh, the the weekend is limited to about 75 people who come either out of the Hall of Fame and or who have the CSP, and I'm really fired up about business because I got to hang out with some of the best of the best, some of the legends in the speaking business and some people who are really doing smart stuff, and I made an offer to the audience. I said, hey, if anybody in this room would like to be a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do – that is a standing invitation. And like three or four people came up to me and said, oh, I'd like to be on your podcast. But one person said, let's do it tomorrow. That's the difference between a lot of people. Some people say, yes, I'd love to do that. And other people say, pull out your phone. Let's get this scheduled. Tomorrow would be awesome. And that's today's guest. And I'm going to be really excited to introduce him to you in just a moment. But first, I've got one of the commercials. So this episode is brought to you by... The Potential Mastermind Project. Yes, that group coaching program is my own program, and it I am sponsoring my own podcast. It grew out of this show. It grew out of cool things entrepreneurs do because a couple listeners said to me, hey, I'd like more of you. How do I get more of Tom? And, and I don't do like a lot of individual coaching, and I travel all the time. So I started this group coaching program called the Potential Mastermind Project because I believe if you listen to the show, you've got potential. But some of you feel there might be a gap between potential and the results. And together, we get together and have weekly calls, and some. Uh, we have a private Facebook group, and we get together and share ideas, hold people accountable, and it is ideal if you are a solopreneur, if you're somebody working by yourself, because as I know, it can get lonely, this is a great way to have some accountability and some people who will totally understand what you're trying to do. As we launch in to 2018, you don't want to do it alone. Join the Potential Mastermind program. Now, how do you know if that's the right thing for you to join? I don't know. You need to go check it out at PotentialMastermind.com. Ask me any questions that you have. And then if it's the right thing, you need to sign up because we're going to be doing cool things in the new year. So today's guest, I can't wait to get to him. Today's guest has been my friend for a couple of years. His name is Joel Block, and he is an expert in everything money. Now, he's not a financial planner. He's all about the money of business. And he's helped me a couple of times. I've struggled with some mindset issues as I've tried to grow my business. And as I've shared before, this year I'm up like over 50, maybe even plus 60% over the past years. And it may or may not be a little bit of a coincidence that about a year and a half ago, I sat down with Joel and he just peppered me. He barbecued me on a couple of questions. 
Now, that wasn't a magical conversation. It didn't solve everything. But I know that his words are in the back, and I know that he's like one of those little pieces that came together to kind of like that spark under me and get me thinking better about the money of my business. And one of the things I did right after I talked to Joel is I went and got a bookkeeper because I realized I wasn't the money guy, so I can't take care of my own. But I love Joel because he is a doer. As I said in the intro, he said, let's do this and let's do it now. So Joel Block, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Hey, Tom, thanks. We talked about this uh, being on the show for a long time, so thanks. Yeah, no, I've always wanted to have you on the show because you're one of the people I admire the most who I know through through the National Speakers Association, and you really are doing some cool things. And, and, and you know, it's not like you're a speaker first. You're a guy who's been involved in, in investing and in business and in real estate, and you put on a conference where you help other people at the highest level do some stuff. And, and along the way, you learn to, to be a pretty good uh, influential uh, speaker uh, doing what you do. So why don't you tell the audience about your business? Because I don't think I just did that justice. Well, my, my primary business, I run a hedge fund and a hedge fund is a, uh, is a pool of money that investors give to me. And then I go and buy assets. That makes, that means I'm a professional investor. We buy things and if we do a good job, then we share the profits with the investors. Um, and then along the way, I got a call from, uh, from an executive at a big, uh, the biggest commercial real estate firm in the country. And the guy said, Hey, can we bring you out to Florida? And do a conference and teach us how to raise money to buy real estate so we can do the same thing. I mean, show us how Wall Street handles the money. And so uh, I did that and it turned into a, a conference, which now uh, we're going to, we're planning our 20th conference wow. for April of 2018. So it's, uh, it's been a, a very, very good deal. So how did you start off? I mean, people end up, you know, having hedge funds or any type of business. It's usually not like, you know, when they were 18, they said, I'm a hedge fund guy. How did no, you get you don't, started? You don't, uh, you don't get out of high school or, you know, play with fire trucks and say, I want to be a hedge fund manager. That, that That's not <laughs> kind of the, the routine. But uh, I'm a CPA. I started in the CPA business. The last account I worked on at Pricewaterhouse as a youngster was uh, a giant syndicator. A syndicator is a, a company that puts money together and my job with a, an army of other guys was to do the tax work for like, uh, you know, 500 partnerships. And it was horrible. It was horrible. I mean, it, uh, it was just terrible. I, I hated doing the tax work, but I loved reading the partnership agreements. And I quit the firm and said, this is the business that I want to be in. And I went into that same business and I met a guy and uh, we cobbled together our first little deal and we did another little deal and another one. And Next thing you know, uh, I was in business doing syndication, and then I fell into a venture capital transaction. Uh, me and another, uh, a different guy, invented the concept of uh, delivering stock quotes to investors by fax in 1990. So, uh, I mean, oh, fax. <laughs> but, you know, joking aside, uh, it was a big deal at that time. Oh, and I had really cutting edge. something cool. I mean, we joke about it, but that was probably sending those things by fax. That was cutting edge. That was high tech. Oh. Cutting, cutting it. I raised $10 million for this company. I mean, this was cutting edge and I sold that company to a fortune 500 company. I mean, so 35 of the nation's biggest newspapers around the planet, you know, uh, wanted to be in this. I mean, other newspapers in other countries wanted to know what we were doing. It was written up in all the magazines. I mean, it was very cutting edge at that time. So, um, and we pioneered a lot of really cool stuff. So, you know, that was really my foray into venture capital. And, you know, once you learn how to raise money, you can raise money for anything. So when I sold that company, I, I then uh, started buying and selling other companies. And I've, I've been involved in about 40 different transactions in my career. So how long ago was that that you left Pricewaterhouse and started your own, your own gig? 1986. So 31 years. And I've never, and I've never been years. 
I've never been employed ever since. Right. So now that you've been doing this for 30 plus years, what is it that you love about carving your own path in the world, about about being an entrepreneur? Well, you know, um, I think, I, you know, I, I think me, like most entrepreneurs, uh, I'm contrarian. Uh, I, I got my own way of doing things. I, I, I don't, I'm not a great listener. You know, I kind of have my own ideas that I, you know, so I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a soldier, you know, to work in a company, you kind of got to be a soldier and I'm not a great soldier. So I, I just, I like being able to take responsibility for my ideas. And if they work, it's because I work them with my team. And if they don't work, I'm responsible for the outcome of that. And I'm okay with that. Uh, you know, I would say that uh, a lot of people are more accidental entrepreneurs. I mean, I mean, I don't know that anybody deliberately wakes up in the morning and says, I'm quitting my lucrative job and I'm going to start being an entrepreneur today. I, I think what more likely happens is that people get thrown into it. They lose their job and they say, now what am I going to do? I better, better buy a franchise. I better uh, go start something or do something. Uh, you know, they transition into it. It's just, it's scary out there. I mean, it's, it's scary to try to make it happen by yourself. So now that you've been doing this so long, you said you've never looked back. Have you never had a day, maybe early on, where you said, I could have been a partner at PwC and just like called it in? Why am I working so hard? You know, I'm, I'm sort of saying that now because my daughter's on that track and she's doing pretty good. But, <laughs> but no, I never, ever look back. First of all, it's not my personality to look backwards because it doesn't do you any good. It does not do anybody any good to look backwards. Don't waste your time looking backwards. So, so you're torn between telling your daughter, yes, go, go down the track. And if she came no, to you and no, no, said, no. I think I want to quit, what would you say? No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not torn about that at all. She's doing awesome. It is her name is, you know, she was born to do this. That that's her, it's, it's her calling. It was not my calling. I was, I was a terrible accountant. You know, I, my handwriting was bad. I didn't get the dimes and the pennies and the right columns on the paperwork. And that was before computers, you know, were, were, were around and, and it just, I was terrible at it, you know, and if I didn't quit, I'd been fired for sure. So <laughs> the, the fact that I kind of jumped ahead, cause I knew I was going to be fired if I wasn't careful. So I, I quit before that embarrassing situation happened. <laughs> and then I went and found something that was more well-suited for me, which was deal-making. So you bring up a really interesting point that comes up a lot on the show. You were a, a young professional, you know, you were educated, you had your CPA, and yet you had your ladder against the wrong wall. I know people listen to the show hear my story all the time. And, you know, I spent 20 you know, plus years with my ladder against the wrong wall. What advice do you have for people to maybe early on figure out if, if they're climbing that wrong ladder? Well, first thing is, the sooner you figure it out, the better. You know, when I was, when I was uh, a youngster, I was making $20,400 a year. <laughs> and when I quit the firm, uh, you know, and I'm talking to the partner and I was telling him I was leaving and, and he says, what are you going to do? I said, well, it doesn't really matter. I said, I could do anything for $20,400 for a year. So I could work at Nordstrom and sell shoes. It, it didn't matter. <laughs> you know, you know, I imagine, you know, by the time you were doing it, you were probably making pretty good money and that's not easy to replace. So, you know, and by then you might have had overhead too, by the way, we might have had a family and, and other responsibilities. Oh yeah. I, I mean, mean, I, I, I didn't get to walk away. I didn't get to walk away till my mid forties or at least early forties. So it was, yeah. So, it was you know, hard. so you were starting to, you know, starting to make some money and you had some overhead. So, you know, the thing was happening and I, my situation, I did it very early. It was easier for me. Uh, but I would say, you know, the earlier, the better. Um, you know, I, I would also say that uh, making money, you know, I don't know, to me being happy and, and enjoying your life, uh, you know, it's, well, number one, I tell my kids that life is better when you have a good job. That That's good advice for a kid. But I would say as you get a little older, life is better when you like 
the job that you have and that you do. You know, whatever, if you got to spend eight or 10 or 12 hours a day doing something, being with some people and whatever, um, I think you ought to like what you do. And by the way, we are, all of us are better at things that we like to do. So, you know, if you like doing something, the likelihood of you being good at it is pretty high. So, you know, that brings up an interesting thing, though, is that, you know, you start off, you weren't making that money. But when I think of Joel Block, I think of a guy who knows how to make money. And I have well, had several. now. I didn't have for now. <laughs> well, yeah. I, mean, I, was, but, I, was, I was a kid. That was my first job out of college. Sure. You know? Well, I didn't know you then. But when, but as I think of you now, I've also known some people who their mindset really is, you know, they they can see something, they can create it, they can make it profitable, and they can sell it or, or grow it where it, you know, produces a big income. You know, I we had talked about this a year and a half ago. You know, I, I've struggled with that. I've, I've kind of set limits for myself that might have been too low. What do you? What advice do you have for somebody who about sort of that money mindset? Because you definitely see it differently. I only know about five or ten people who really see the world the way you do. What advice do you have yeah. for people to be able to understand money in that way? Well, the the first thing that I would tell you is stop listening to other people. Uh, you know, uh, most most other people are not successful in their life. They're not successful in, with their money. Uh, you know, they. They, they're lacking stuff. And those are the first people to rush out and give you advice. And when you have a, an idea or, or you want to do something and somebody says, oh, no, I wouldn't do it. That sounds too hard. They're, they're not saying it's too hard for you. They're saying it's too hard for me. So you probably can't do it either. And you have to really think, where is that advice coming from? I, I was just this morning uh, was telling somebody you're going to be getting, you know, she, she was going into a meeting and she's going to get a lot of advice. I'm not telling you don't listen to the advice, but make sure that you ask the question about the advice. You know, what is their perspective? What are they thinking uh, when they're giving you the advice? Do they really understand you, your capability, uh, the situation that you're in? Do they understand the current environment? You know, or are they giving it from a frame, frame of reference that is maybe 20 years ago and it's maybe not relevant in today's environment? So be very careful when people start giving you advice. And uh, here's another thing. When people give you free advice, it's worth exactly what you paid for it. Nothing. It's worth nothing. <laughs> most people, you know, they, they just, uh, I, I don't take uh, most of the advice. And remember this, it's advice, not directions. And you're not obligated to take it unless you're a small child from your parent. You know, you're not being parented. Uh, you know, people are giving you advice and you have to do what works for you at the end of the day. So, you know, it's interesting because one of the things that I, I got some advice and, and it was actually really good advice was there's a lot of people out there who are counseling that, you know, the recession could be coming, right? 2008 could be reappearing in 2018. You don't seem like somebody who gets scared of what's around the next corner. So how do you deal with the, sort of the predictions that, you know, things could go awry in the economy? Well, they could. I mean, there, there are some things that are broken. I mean, there are, there are things that are not uh, perfect. But at the same time, uh, listen, I'm a professional investor. Professional investors make money on the way up and the way down because uh, we're focused on information and, uh, and, and we're just more sensitive. Retail investors, which is, which is 99% of everybody else, uh, don't pay enough attention that they're sensitive to that. They, they play the market. Professional investors don't play the market. That's a whole different discussion. But uh, you can't be scared. You can't live your life that way because the truth is that uh, there are going to be corrections. There are going to be downturns. We don't know when that's going to happen. Uh, nobody's got a crystal ball. I know that there are things that are going to happen, but I don't know when they're going to happen. Nobody does. That's the crystal ball part. And, you know, you just, you can't live your life uh, being afraid. You just, you just can't. It's, it's not, uh, it's not smart. 
Well, and that ties into to sort of the, the advice I got. So I've been speaking for years about the importance of, of your network and people and the connections that you make along the way. And I was talking to somebody and they said, you know, with all this talk about the recession is coming, you need to retool your talk for associations and really convince associations that right now, before there's a downturn, they should be helping their members prepare for what would you do if something turned around in there. And so I retooled one of actually two of my speeches, my, my paradox of potential speech, where I work with people on sort of that gap between potential and results and my sort of connecting with people and really getting back to the basics of relationship speech. And I retooled them together into a new talk and the working title of it is recession proof your career. And I just came up with it a couple of days ago and I put it out there uh, sort of into the world today. And I already had two people reach out to me saying we need that. So it yeah. just sort of made me made me laugh because one of the people I was going to reach out to is you, and now I have you on the phone, so we can just sort of talk about it here. I mean, if someone's going to start uh, recession-proofing their career right now, not worrying if the downturn could come in a month or in four years, what advice would you give to them? And I may use well, some of that in my speech. Sure. Um, you know, well, number one is you have to continuously sharpen your saw. And I don't know who what famous person said you got to sharpen the saw once in a while. But you got to take some time away from whatever you're busy doing all day long, and you got to make sure that you're uh, staying uh, cutting edge. That you know that's why Tom, that's why we go to these conferences so we can uh, talk to other professionals and we learn from each other. How are you doing it? What are you doing? What's happening? What's the industry doing? Go to industry conferences. Be involved in uh, in a network. I mean, networks are not only good for referring business. Networks are good for uh, you know for exchanging information that's really more important than anything what a network is it's an exchange of ideas and information well and that's Sometimes- where that's where i got the idea for sort of retooling some of my stuff to getting people prepared cuz the answer really lies in your plan your purpose and the people you surround yourself with which is what i talk about already and so you know but it's because i was at this function somebody else saw the connection to what could happen with the recession and they said you're the person who needs to be talking about this. And bam, I got two leads within 48 hours because I acted on it. Yeah, well, listen, that's uh, it's good that you got the advice and it's good that you took the advice. I mean, that's that's the kind of advice that you sit in your way and you go, well, that's, uh, that does make a lot of sense. I'm going to take that advice. And, uh, you know, I think it's a great title. I think it's a catchy title. Uh, I think it's uh, something that people need to do. And 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 that's that's a big part. Number one, there's an element of curiosity. And there's an element of, of, I need that. That's something that's important. Well, and the one association friend of mine who reached out to me and said, let's talk about this. He said, it's really the responsibility of trade associations to help prepare their members if there's something ahead. And we all hear, I mean, many people think, and we all keep hearing that, you know, there could be a downturn. And he said, it's really as an executive in an association, he said, it's my responsibility to offer that as a workshop. So I was like, wow. Well, it, it, you know what? It is. If they're not adding value, then they become irrelevant. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Hey, thanks for pulling your chair up to the cool kids table. 
I just got back from a great weekend. This is going to air a little bit later, but uh, and when at the time we're recording this, I just got back from the National Speakers Association CSP CPAE Summit. Uh, and if you listen to the show enough, you know that the CSP is a designation, stands for Certified Speaking Professional, and I'm one of about 800 professional speakers in the world who have such a thing. And then the uh, the CPAE is the Speaker Hall of Fame, which I like to tell people, yes, there is a Speaker Hall of Fame. I'm not part of that, but uh, uh, the the weekend is limited to about 75 people who come either out of the Hall of Fame and or who have the CSP, and I'm really fired up about business because I got to hang out with some of the best of the best, some of the legends in the speaking business and some people who are really doing smart stuff, and I made an offer to the audience. I said, hey, if anybody in this room would like to be a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do – that is a standing invitation. And like three or four people came up to me and said, oh, I'd like to be on your podcast. But one person said, let's do it tomorrow. That's the difference between a lot of people. Some people say, yes, I'd love to do that. And other people say, pull out your phone. Let's get this scheduled. Tomorrow would be awesome. And that's today's guest. And I'm going to be really excited to introduce him to you in just a moment. But first, I've got one of the commercials. So this episode is brought to you by... The Potential Mastermind Project. Yes, that group coaching program is my own program, and I am sponsoring my own podcast. It grew out of this show. It grew out of cool things entrepreneurs do because a couple listeners said to me, hey, I'd like more of you. How do I get more of Tom? And, And I don't do like a lot of individual coaching, and I travel all the time. So I started this group coaching program called the Potential Mastermind Project because I believe if you listen to the show, you've got potential. But some of you feel there might be a gap between potential and the results. And together, we get together and have weekly calls and some. Uh, we have a private Facebook group. And we get together and share ideas, hold people accountable. And it is ideal if you are a solopreneur, if you're somebody working by yourself, because as I know, it can get lonely. This is a great way to have some accountability and some people who will totally understand what you're trying to do. As we launch in to 2018, you don't want to do it to loan, alone. Join the Potential Mastermind program. Now, how do you know if that's the right thing for you to join? I don't know. You need to go check it out at PotentialMastermind.com. Ask me any questions that you have. And then if it's the right thing, you need to sign up because we're going to be doing cool things in the new year. So today's guest, I can't wait to get to him. Today's guest has been my friend for a couple of years. His name is Joel Block, and he is an expert in everything money. Now, He's not a financial planner. He's all about the money of business. And he's helped me a couple of times. I've struggled with some mindset issues as I've tried to grow my business. And as I've shared before, this year I'm up like over 50, maybe even plus 60% over the past years. And it may or may not be a little bit of a coincidence that about a year and a half ago, I sat down with Joel and he just peppered me. He barbecued me on a couple of questions. Now, that wasn't a magical conversation. It didn't solve everything, but I know that his words are in the back, and I know that he's like one of those little pieces that came together to kind of like that spark under me and get me thinking better about the money of my business. And one of the things I did right after I talked to Joel is I went and got a bookkeeper because I realized I wasn't the money guy, so I can't take care of my own. But I love Joel because he is a doer. As I said in the intro, he said, let's do this and let's do it now. So Joel Block, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Hey, Tom, thanks. We've talked about this uh, being on the show for a long time, so thanks. 
Yeah, no, I've always wanted to have you on the show because you're one of the people I admire the most who I know through through the National Speakers Association. And you really are doing some cool things. And, and, and you know, it's not like you're a speaker first. You're a guy who's been involved in, in investing and in business and in real estate. And you put on a conference where you help other people at the highest level do some stuff. And, and along the way, you learn to, to be a pretty good uh, influential uh, speaker uh, doing what you do. So why don't you tell the audience about your business? Because I don't think I just did that justice. Well, my, my primary business, I run a hedge fund and a hedge fund is a, uh, is a pool of money that investors give to me. And then I go and buy assets. That makes, that means I'm a professional investor. We buy things and if we do a good job, then we share the profits with the investors. Um, and then along the way, I got a call from, uh, from an executive at a big, uh, the biggest commercial real estate firm in the country. And the guy said, Hey, can we bring you out to Florida? And do a conference and teach us how to raise money to buy real estate so we could do the same thing. I mean, show us how Wall Street handles the money. And so uh, I did that and it turned into a, a conference, which now uh, we're going to, we're planning our 20th conference Wow! for April of 2018. So it's, uh, it's been a, a very, very good deal. So how did you start off? I mean, people end up, you know, having hedge funds or any type of business. It's usually not like, you know, when they were 18, they said, I'm a hedge fund guy. How did no, you get you don't, started? You don't, uh, you don't uh, get out of high school or, you know, play with fire trucks and say, I want to be a hedge fund manager. That, that That's not <laughs> kind of the, the routine. But uh, I'm a CPA. I started in the CPA business. The last account I worked on at Pricewaterhouse as a youngster was uh, a giant syndicator. A syndicator is a, a company that puts money together. And my job with a, an army of other guys was to do the tax work for like, uh, you know, 500 partnerships. And it was horrible. It was horrible. I mean, it, it, uh, it was just terrible. I, I hated doing the tax work, but I loved reading the partnership agreements. And I quit the firm and said, this is the business that I want to be in. And I went into that same business and I met a guy and uh, we cobbled together our first little deal and we did another little deal and another one. And Next thing you know, uh, I was in business doing syndication, and then I fell into a venture capital transaction. Uh, me and another, uh, a different guy, invented the concept of uh, delivering stock quotes to investors by fax in 1990. So, uh, I oh, mean, God. fax. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, joking aside, uh, it was a big deal at that time, oh, and I had really cutting edge. on something cool. I mean, we joke about it, but that was probably sending those things by fax. That was cutting edge. That was high tech. Oh. Cutting, cutting it. I raised $10 million for this company. I mean, this was cutting edge and I sold that company to a fortune 500 company. I mean, so 35 of the nation's biggest newspapers around the planet, you know, uh, wanted to be in this. I mean, other newspapers in other countries wanted to know what we were doing. It was written up in all the magazines. I mean, it was very cutting edge at that time. So, um, and we pioneered a lot of really cool stuff. So, you know, that was really my foray into venture capital. And, you know, once you learn how to raise money, you can raise money for anything. So when I sold that company, I, I then uh, started buying and selling other companies. And I've, I've been involved in about 40 different transactions in my career. So how long ago was that that you left Pricewaterhouse and started your own, your own gig? 1986. So 31 years. And I've never, and I've never, been, I've never been employed ever since. Right. So now that you've been doing this for 30 plus years, what is it that you love about carving your own path in the world, about about being an entrepreneur. Well, you know, um, I think I, you know, I, I think me, like most entrepreneurs, uh, I'm contrarian. Uh, I, I got my own way of doing things. I, I I don't. I'm not a great listener. You know, I kind of have my own ideas that I. You know, so I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not a soldier. You know, to work in a company, you kind of got to be a soldier. And I'm not a great soldier, so 
I, I just, I like being able to take responsibility for my ideas. And if they work, it's because I worked them with my team. And if they don't work, I'm responsible for the outcome of that. And I'm okay with that. Uh, you know, I would say that uh, a lot of people are more accidental entrepreneurs. I mean, I mean, I don't know that anybody deliberately wakes up in the morning and says, I'm quitting my lucrative job and I'm going to start being an entrepreneur today. I, I think what more likely happens is that people get thrown into it. They lose their job and they say, now what am I going to do? I better, better buy a franchise. I better uh, go start something or do something. Uh, you know, they transition into it. It's just, it's scary out there. I mean, it's, it's scary to try to make it happen by yourself. So now that you've been doing this so long, you said you've never looked back. Have you never had a day, maybe early on, where you said, I could have been a partner at PwC and just like called it in? Why am I working so hard? You know, I'm, I'm sort of saying that now because my daughter's on that track and she's doing pretty good. But, <laughs> but no, I never, ever look back. First of all, it's not my personality to look backwards because it doesn't do you any good. It does not do anybody any good to look backwards. Don't waste your time looking backwards. So, so you're torn between telling your daughter, yes, go, go down the track. And if she came no, in no, and no, said, no. I think I want to quit, what would you say? No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not torn about that at all. She's doing awesome. It is, her name is, you know, she was born to do this. That that's her, it's, it's her calling. It was not my calling. I was, I was a terrible accountant. You know, I, I, my handwriting was bad. I didn't get the dimes and the pennies and the right columns on the paperwork. And that was before computers, you know, were, were, were around and, and it just, I was terrible at it, you know, and if I didn't quit, I'd been fired for sure. So <laughs> the, the fact that I kind of jumped ahead, cause I knew I was going to be fired if I wasn't careful. So I, I quit before that embarrassing situation happened. <laughs> and then I went and found something that was more well-suited for me, which was deal-making. So you bring up a really interesting point that comes up a lot on the show. You were a, a young professional, you know, you were educated, you had your CPA, and yet you had your ladder against the wrong wall. I know people listen to the show hear my story all the time. And, you know, I spent 20 you know, plus years with my ladder against the wrong wall. What advice do you have for people to maybe early on figure out if, if they're climbing that wrong ladder? Well, first thing is the sooner you figure it out, the better. You know, when I was, when I was uh, a youngster, I was making $20,400 a year. <laughs> and when I quit the firm, uh, you know, and I'm talking to the partner and I was telling him I was leaving and, and he says, what are you going to do? I said, well, it doesn't really matter. I said, I could do anything for $20,400 for a year. So I could work at Nordstrom and sell shoes. It, it didn't matter. <laughs> you know, it, you know, I imagine, you know, by the time you were doing it, you were probably making pretty good money and that's not easy to replace. So, you know, and by then you might've had overhead too, by the way, we might have had a family and, and other responsibilities. Oh yeah. I, I mean, mean, I, I, I didn't get to walk away. I didn't get to walk away till my mid forties or at least early forties. So it was, yeah. So, it was you know, hard. so you were starting to, you know, starting to make some money and you had some overhead. So, you know, the thing was happening and uh, my situation, I did it very early. It was easier for me. Uh, but I would say, you know, the earlier, the better. Um, you know, I, I would also say that uh, making money, you know, I don't know, to me being happy and, and enjoying your life, uh, you know, it's, well, number one, I tell my kids that life is better when you have a good job. That, that's good advice for a kid. But I would say as you get a little older, life is better when you like the job that you have and that you do. You know, whatever, if you got to spend eight or 10 or 12 hours a day doing something, being with some people and whatever, um, I think you ought to like what you do. And by the way, we are, all of us are better at things that we like to do. So, you know, if you like doing something, the likelihood of you being good at it is pretty high. So, you know, that brings up an interesting thing, though, is that, you know, you start off, you weren't making that money. But when I think of Joel Block, I think of a guy who knows how to make money. 
And I have well, had that's several. Now. I do NAFCA now. <laughs> well, yeah. I, mean, I, was, but, I, was, I was a kid. That was my first job out of college. Sure. Know? Well, I didn't know you then. But, when, but as I think of you now, I've also known some people who their mindset really is, you know, they, they can see something, they can create it, they can make it profitable, and they can sell it or, or grow it where it, you know, produces a big income. You know, I, we had talked about this a year and a half ago. You know, I, I've struggled with that. I've, I've kind of set limits for myself that might have been too low. What, do you, what advice do you have for somebody who about sort of that money mindset? Because you definitely see it differently. I only know about five or 10 people who really see the world the way you do. What advice do you have yeah. for people to be able to understand money in that way? Well, the, the first thing that I would tell you is stop listening to other people. Uh, you know, uh, most, most other people are not successful in their life. They're not successful in, with their money. Uh, you know, they, they, they are lacking stuff. And those are the first people to rush out and give you advice. And when you have a, an idea or, or you want to do something and somebody says, oh, no, I wouldn't do it. That sounds too hard. They're, they're not saying it's too hard for you. They're saying it's too hard for me. So you probably can't do it either. And you have to really think, where is that advice coming from? I, I was just this morning uh, was telling somebody, you're going to be getting, you know, she, she was going into a meeting that she's going to get a lot of advice, but I'm not telling you don't listen to the advice, but make sure that you ask the question about the advice. You know, what is their perspective? What are they thinking uh, when they're giving you the advice? Do they really understand you, your capability, uh, the situation that you're in? Do they understand the current environment? You know, or are they giving it from a frame, frame of reference? that is maybe 20 years ago, and it's maybe not relevant in today's environment. So be very careful when people start giving you advice, and uh, here's another thing. When people give you free advice, it's worth exactly what you paid for it. Nothing, <laughs> it's worth nothing. <laughs> most people, you know, they, they just, uh, I, I don't take uh, most of the advice. And remember this, it's advice, not directions. And you're not obligated to take it unless you're a small child from your parent. You know, you're not being parented. You know, people are giving you advice and you have to do what works for you at the end of the day. So, you know, it's interesting because one of the things that I, I got some advice and, and it was actually really good advice was there's a lot of people out there who are counseling that, you know, the recession could be coming, right? 2008 could be reappearing in 2018. You don't seem like somebody who gets scared of what's around the next corner. So how do you deal with the, sort of the predictions that, you know, things could go awry in the economy? Well, they could. I mean, there, there are some things that are broken. I mean, there are, there are things that are not uh, perfect. But at the same time, uh, listen, I'm a professional investor. Professional investors make money on the way up and the way down because uh, we're focused on information and, uh, and, and we're just more sensitive. Retail investors, which is, which is 99% of everybody else, uh, don't pay enough attention that they're sensitive to that. They they play the market. Professional investors don't play the market. That's a whole different discussion. But uh, you can't be scared. You can't live your life that way because the truth is that uh, there are going to be corrections. There are going to be downturns. We don't know when that's going to happen. Uh, nobody's got a crystal ball. I know that there are things that are going to happen, but I don't know when they're going to happen. Nobody does. That's the crystal ball part. And you know, you just you can't live your life uh, being afraid. You just you just can't. It's it's not. Uh, it's not smart. Well, and that ties into to sort of the, the advice I got. So I've been speaking for years about the importance of, of your network and people and the connections that you make along the way. And I was talking to somebody and they said, you know, with all this talk about the recession is coming, you need to retool your talk for associations and really convince associations that right now, before there's a downturn, they should be helping their 
members prepare for what would you do if something turned around in there. And so I retooled one of actually two of my speeches, my, my paradox of potential speech, where I work with people on sort of that gap between potential and results, and my sort of connecting with people and really getting back to the basics of relationship speech. And I retooled them together into a new talk. And the working title of it is Recession Proof Your Career. And I just came up with it a couple of days ago. And I put it out there uh, sort of into the world today. And I already had two people reach out to me saying, we need that. So it yeah. just sort of made me made me laugh because one of the people I was going to reach out to is you, and now I have you on the phone, so we can just sort of talk about it here. I mean, if someone's going to start uh, recession-proofing their career right now, not worrying if the downturn could come in a month or in four years, what advice would you give to them? And I may use well, some of that in my speech. Sure. Um, you know, well, number one is you have to continuously sharpen your saw. And I don't know who, what famous person said you got to sharpen the saw once in a while. But you got to take some time away from whatever you're busy doing all day long, and you got to make sure that you're uh, staying uh, cutting edge. That you know that's why Tom, that's why we go to these conferences so we can uh, talk to other professionals and we learn from each other. How are you doing it? What are you doing? What's happening? What's the industry doing? Go to industry conferences. Be involved in uh, in a network. I mean, networks are not only good for referring business. Networks are good for uh, you know for exchanging information that's really more important than anything what a network is it's an exchange of ideas and information well and that's Sometimes- where that's where i got the idea for sort of retooling some of my stuff to getting people prepared cuz the answer really lies in your plan your purpose and the people you surround yourself with which is what i talk about already and so you know but it's because i was at this function somebody else saw the connection to what could happen with the recession and they said you're the person who needs to be talking about this. And bam, I got two leads within 48 hours because I acted on it. Yeah, well, listen, that's uh, it's good that you got the advice and it's good that you took the advice. I mean, that's that's the kind of advice that you sit in your way and you go, well, that's, uh, that does make a lot of sense. I'm going to take that advice. And, uh, you know, I think it's a great title. I think it's a catchy title. Uh, I think it's uh, something that people need to do. And, and, and that's, that's a big part. Number one, there's an element of curiosity. And there's an element of, of, I need that. That's something that's important. Well, in the one association friend of mine who reached out to me and said, let's talk about this. He said, it's really the responsibility of trade associations to help prepare their members if there's something ahead. And we all hear, I mean, many people think, and we all keep hearing that, you know, there could be a downturn. And he said, it's really as an executive in an association, he said, it's my responsibility to offer that as a workshop. So I was like, wow. Well, it, it, you know what? It is. If they're not adding value, then they become irrelevant. And telling people what the world looks like in five or 10 years, that's if, if they have an idea about that, then that's really the highest uh, level of uh, value they can provide. So any other advice on, on that for people if they're looking to, uh-oh, what could happen? Any other advice you have for them? Well, you know, listen, it, it doesn't hurt to build a safety net, put a little money aside, make sure you've got six months worth of money. Uh, not everybody does, but I'll put it like this. If you don't have, uh, you know, uh, next month's money, uh, it, it really affects your ability in the way you price, in the way you market, the way you sell. Uh, if you don't have any money, you're going to lower your price to get anything to come in the door. That's not good long-term business. Uh, depending on what business you're in, I mean, really, that's not a great way to do it. So if you've got some staying power, if you've got a little bit of savings, it's going to help you to negotiate better, get better long-term arrangements, get higher price arrangements, uh, which ironically makes you better, even better off. So uh, all the way around, uh, I would I would make sure that you have some safety net that will protect you from, uh, you know, from having to, uh, you know, be short sighted. So how important is your network in good times and in bad? 
I think that the network is probably the single most valuable asset that you will ever have, ever. Uh, you can always get more money and you always will get more money, but uh, your network is really the roadmap. It's, you know, people at the, at the end of the day, uh, people do business with you because they like you, they like, they, they trust you, whatever, whatever their reasons are. And, and they also, they know other people. Uh, and my whole business, uh, you know, comes from people telling people, Hey, I got this problem I got to solve. I don't know how to solve it. What do you do? Well, there's this one guy that this is exactly what he does. So number one, I have to put the message out to my network so that they understand what I do. Cause if they don't understand what you do, they can't tell other people about it and they have to know when to call you, uh, what you do. Uh, and, and I do that. Well, I put the message out clearly and people know exactly what I do uh, when I do it, when people need to call. And then uh, when somebody does call, I always ask them, hey, listen, uh, you know, I'm kind of hard to find. How did you find me? And, and they'll always tell me, and, you know, I'm, this friend of mine, uh, so-and-so uh, said, you're the, you're the one, you know. And, and the irony is that when, when that happens, uh, you know, suddenly now we're connected. We kind of a little bond and, uh, and that's it. That's, that's what happens. Well, and I met you in person two and a half years ago, but I knew you through Twitter and other online stuff for about maybe, gosh, at least a year before that. And I always thought, who is this guy? Because you were clearly one of the most generous people. And it wasn't just to me. I mean, you follow a lot of people. You're very generous with retweeting, with commenting, with sharing positive information with your network saying, hey, what this guy says, you know, he's smart. Take a look. We're so many people out there when it comes to the way they are on social media and then the way they are in person is it's all me, me, me. Hey, look at me. Well, I'm not going to talk about anybody else. I think there's a couple things going on. Uh, number one is in my life, people have been nice to me in general. And so I, I just kind of reciprocate. I think it's the right thing to do. But I think the bigger problem in social media is I don't think that there's a, uh, an Emily post of social media out there <laughs> that has taught any of us how to be on social media. Uh, you know, I, I think that people, people have horrible, horrible uh, social media manners. You know, they, they look at, they don't look at it like the real world. Like if somebody said, Tom, uh, you know, boy, that was a really nice thing that you did or whatever you'd say, thank you. You know, here we, we just, we look at it and then we go on to the next thing. We don't respond. We don't acknowledge. And people really need to understand the way that the algorithms of Facebook work. It really helps for you when you hit like, uh, that makes it go better. When you retweet, Twitter likes it better. And, and that's the way that you say even a thumbs up or something on, a, on anything a like, whatever is like, is like saying, thank you. You don't have to write a whole doctoral dissertation. You just have to hit the click, you know, the like thing. And the other thing for me is that when I do that, it reminds me that I've already seen that post. If I liked it, it means I've already read it. Or if I retweeted it, it means I already read it. And, you know, so I, it serves a couple of things, but we need an Emily post of social media to help us learn some manners. Maybe someone's listening who uh, knows manners, who's thinking, there's my, there's my golden idea. I'm going to become the Emily post of social media. And, and there you go. Well, there. We, the world needs that, doesn't it? That's right. I hope a listener just took that to heart and is going to run with it. Um, no, but then when it, when I met you in person, you are just as generous when it comes to helping people in person <laughs> as you are online. So, I mean, have you always been that way? Is that just part of who Joel is? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just kind of my MO. It's just, it's just how I am. But I'll, I'll tell you what, um, I am very, very good at a couple things and, 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 and there's tons and tons of room for improvement in all the other things. And so the things that I'm good at, I share the, the things that I don't know how to do so much, uh, you know, other people help me. And I, I really believe in uh, reciprocity and, 
kind of recycling things and things just, I, I just think there's a big circle. Uh, and, there, and listen, and there are a lot of people who don't feel that way. And those people are, are not in my circle. It, it, you know, the people, ironically, maybe it's the universe conspiring. Uh, the people that are uh, nice to me and that are nice back, those stay in my, my circle. And that circle has gotten very big. And NSA is one of those kind of circles. Well, I, you know, I can't imagine anybody not wanting to be in your circle because you are such a nice guy and you really are, are sort of smart. I want to ask you before we, before we go about sort of how you, you're known as the barbecuer because you push people so hard. <laughs> but, but first, before I can do that, I've got to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure that you're going to sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Joel. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So, Joel, you said in the Los Angeles chapter of the National Speakers Association, some of the people call you, I think you said the barbecuer because- The grill master. Oh, the grill master. Oh, same thing. Okay. Yeah, they're the grill master because when they talk to you about their business, you don't just go, oh, that's so nice and fluffy. You grill them, and you did it to me. You grill them about what they're doing, why they're doing it, and how they can be better. So let's talk a little bit about, about being the grill master. What's that all about? Well, I'll tell you what. The single most important thing, uh, I, listen, although I was trained as a CPA and you, the ladder's on the wrong wall and the whole thing, and uh, I'm a salesman. I, I, I love to sell, and that's, that's, that's my thing. I just I like working with people. I like getting people to say yes. That's what I like. And the only way you can get people to say yes is to be crystal clear about what you do. The only way you can get referrals is by being so clear that you can get other people to be crystal clear. And so, you know, one thing about me as, a, as somebody who came from venture capital and, and what I do, I, I live in the shark tank. If, you, if you're familiar with the TV show, people call me every single day and they ask for money. Hey, Joel, I got a project. Can you do something? And, and I can tell sometimes in 30 seconds, but always in three minutes or less, always, if it's something that I want to know more about. And the way that I know is based on the clarity of the presentation. If somebody says, Joel, I have this idea for this thing and well, and, and it's like this, like, and they're wandering around and they're, they're kind of going down the yellow brick road and it's kind of like curvy road, and then it's a pass. But if they say, here's exactly the thing that we're going to do and here's exactly how it works. So when people uh, that I know, you know, that are, that are looking for help. I mean, I don't do this to strangers on the street, you know, you know. <laughs> I'm just going to grill you stranger. Right. Right. I don't barbecue strangers by the way, but, <laughs> but what happens is that, uh, you know, like in our chapter, like in our Academy, the, 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 the people who are the, the earlier stage people who are learning to be speakers, um, what's your topic? And they'll say something and I'll, and I'll ask them more and more questions, you know, to go deeper and deeper because the truth is they don't really know. They don't really know. And, but, let me promise you that after a little while, they know. And even, you know, even guys that come to my conference want to learn how to raise money. Okay, let's pitch a deal. Let's practice. You know, go up in front of the room and practice pitching a deal. These are all people who are uh, also learning to raise money. And these are all very sophisticated real estate people. So when I say they're learning, these aren't beginners. These are very sophisticated people that just need to learn about the money. But when, uh, when I bring people up and we'll talk about a deal, uh, you know, we get them crystal clear on what the important parts are that they need to put out there. So 
the, the, if there's any takeaway, it's about clarity. You need to be crystal clear about what you're doing and you need to be able to communicate that clearly, simply. And so when I talk about barbecuing, that's really what I talk about is really getting people to be crystal clear and answering questions uh, one after the next that makes them crystal clear. And, and I think as entrepreneurs, we need that because sometimes we can just live in our own bubble. And, yeah. you know, sometimes we have yes men and yes women around us who say, oh, that's a beautiful idea. And sometimes we need people, you know, not only to help us, you know, so find fresh ideas, but sometimes people to say, why, why, why? You know, Tom, I'm kind of kind of feeling like maybe we ought to fire up the barbecue and throw you on it. How about it? Let's do it right now. Where do you want to go? <laughs> no. no, I don't. I don't mind. I'm not, no, I don't think, I don't think we have, we don't have time right this second, but we'll, that's uh, probably next time. I don't have my suntan lotion with me anyway. So, so. <laughs> hey, Joel, I call the show cool things entrepreneurs do. What is the coolest thing you're doing in your business right now? Right now? Um, you know, the coolest thing is that uh, I'm in the money business and, and five years ago, the government changed the rules uh, for the money business for the better. I mean, they made great rules. And so the, the great new rules are all about crowdfunding. And what that means is that in the past, I couldn't really tell anybody about the deals that I was doing because they were private. Private placements are private. Uh, regular people couldn't buy Facebook stock until it went public. You know, it was private until it went public. And, you know, and they've made it so that those rules are now mostly gone. So lots of people can have access to things that they didn't have access to before. So I'm very much involved in, uh, crowdfunding and, and tapping the crowd and, and, and offering opportunities to uh, regular people that they've never had before because private placements uh, are, it's an investment vehicle that is really for wealthy people. I mean, and they're because they're, they, they make a lot of money, but there's also a risk attached to making a lot of money. And so the government doesn't want uh, regular people doing this sort of thing because they could lose some money. Uh, unfortunately, that's 97% of the population. So only 3% really get to participate in this. But they've changed the rules a little bit, and and they've made it uh, you know possible for more people to get involved, uh, which is which is just an awesome thing, and and that is uh, it's a pretty off the chart thing because listen, investors are you know all people whether you know if you don't make a lot of money or if you're uh, making pretty good money but you're not a millionaire, uh, you know you need to have a good place to put your money too, and so uh, the crowdfunding world makes it possible for. Uh, you know, for you to get involved in things. If you've got a neighbor or a next door neighbor that invests, invents the next home run, uh, you know, you want to be able to get involved in it. So how do people find out about that? I mean, that sounds like it's, uh, it's, it's new and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hidden. How do people know how they can find out about good deals? Well, you know what? They go to our website, investorvalet.com. Uh, and that would be, uh, they could sign up and they can be advised about things. Um, but that's, uh, you know, that that's a that's kind of that's our thing and that's that's up and coming it's on the way so so that's investorvalet.com yes i'm gonna go sign up as soon as we get off this call cool hey uh so i always think that when i interview entrepreneurs the greatest thing is the best entrepreneurs are observers i mean we could talk about joel block all day and everything that you do however i think the observers are always watching for who else out there is cool so who do you think who's doing something awesome out in the market oh boy um God, let me, oh boy. <laughs> I'll tell you who. Um, Bruce Weinstein is doing something that's off the chart cool. Uh, Bruce is, uh, he's a PhD. He's an ethicist, which means that he is an expert in ethics. And ethics is a big problem in our society. 
And he is uh, working with companies at every level, uh, helping them to really understand what ethical behavior means in business. And he's certifying people as being uh, having completed coursework so that uh, they take that with them to new jobs. Uh, he's helping uh, people at different levels of management understand it. Uh, I think what he's doing is really cool. That's, yeah, no, he's he is doing some cool stuff, and he's really grown his business in the last couple of years as well. Oh, and, and let me tell you, you haven't seen anything yet. You just you just wait six months. I think it's going to blow up even bigger. Awesome. A lot of people are thinking an ethicist. That's I've never knew there was such a thing. But I I always say there's a job for everybody, and you just got to find what you're passionate about. There's a lot of ways to skin the cat here in this uh, this economy, aren't there? This economy and even other economies. You know, I started my speaking business August. I'm sorry, April first, two thousand nine. Now, arguably, April of 2009 was the bottom of the bottom, and that's when I started my business. And as we talked earlier, sometimes you get thrown into it. I was laid off on April 1st, 2009, and I've never looked back. That was when I started the business, and people were like, how did you grow a speaking business? People were like falling out of this business, and part of it was is that downturn left a lot of opportunity because I was willing at the time to work for $1.95 and a chicken dinner, and companies and associations didn't have a lot of money. So it, it sort of opened a pathway for me that might not have been there in good time. So- I think- One of the, it's very coincidental that um, my first real estate, the syndication seminars that I do, the first one was in April, 2009. Ah, see, there you go. That's the, the best time sometime is that bottom. So if if, uh, if the experts who are predicting the bottom is right, people shouldn't be scared. They should be looking around. They should become observers. Because You know, listen, there, there's tragedy creates uh, opportunity. I mean, that's just the way that it works. And so instead of, you know, going in under a blanket and, and shivering, you know, Start thinking, ask the question, what's the impact of that? What, what opportunity is going to be born? If you ask a couple of questions, the answers are going to pop into your head. You're going to wake up in the morning and there the answer is going to be there. And you just got to ask some good questions because every time something goes down, something else goes up. That's just how life works. Absolutely. So Joel, before I let you go, I have one question I love to ask people who come on the show because I think, I think those of us who are you know carving our path, being entrepreneurs, I think we want to do more than just make money. I, I think we want to leave a mark of some sort. So what do you do to serve the greater good? Well, number one, I, I think we have an obligation to do good. We have, a, we have an absolute obligation. Uh, no matter how much more you want to make or no matter how dissatisfied you are with wherever you are, uh, there are people who are way worse off than you. We have to always remember that. I was the chairman of the board of the Los Angeles Boys and Girls Club uh, for five years. I just, just retired here a couple years ago and we did some magnificent stuff. This was, uh, we served about 7,000 kids a year. Uh, it was a, it was an, a really good club uh, in, in a really, really poor part of town. Very well run. We had a great executive director. We raised millions of dollars. Uh, the Dodgers donated a, a bunch of money and built us a Dodger dream field. Sprite came in actually, uh, the Bron James came with Jay Z did a concert for the kids and, and actually, believe it or not, Beyonce was there. There's a, there's a, uh, there's a video of me sitting with Beyonce for 20, 30 minutes. I mean, it was, I, I hosted her for the day and spent the day with her. So a lot of really cool stuff happened. Uh, we did a lot of good for a lot of kids. Uh, Sprite donated a basketball court, which is what that whole LeBron and Jay-Z thing was with Beyonce. And, you know, so a lot of big companies really did a lot of nice things and, and you know, and I've been lucky to be part of that, and that was just awesome. I worked hard. I mean, it, you know, believe me, it's when I people say oh, I was lucky. Uh, it, it, it was it was nice that everybody's nice, but you know, it's it's a lot of work to be involved in these things. But you know, uh, I felt good about it. And and if it weren't for the work that we do, 
there would be a lot of children that would be worse off than they are. And uh, believe me, it's not, it's not fair or nice that children have to suffer. I mean, it's when parents make bad decisions, but children end up suffering for, for unfortunate reasons. And then they perpetuate the problems. So you want to try and break these cycles. And that's what the boys and girls club did. And it was, it was a wonderful experience for me. So, you know, that's, um, that's something I've done and, and I've, I've contributed a lot. I, I contribute a lot of resources to those kinds of things. Oh, I think that's great. And, and serving on the board for that many years, that is a commitment because I've served on board. So I know, I know what, what goes on behind the scenes. Hey, Joel, if somebody listened to this episode and they're like, I have to know more about this Joel Block guy, who, who is he? How do they find you? Uh, they can go to, uh, the name of my company is Bullseye Capital. So they can go to bullseyecap.com and, uh, you know, they can find out uh, whatever they like. That's awesome. All there. Thank you. I know we talked about it for a long time, but thank you for agreeing to be on the show. And thank you for being one of those people who say, yes, let's do it tomorrow. Those are my favorite type of people. And the funny thing is, it's always the people who I think are the most successful who say, yes, let's do it and let's do it now. And yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's always the people who maybe I don't have as much respect for who are like, could we schedule this for uh, July 2024? Because that's when I would be have some time to be on your show. And it's like, uh, or, <laughs> hey, tom- listen, or tomorrow. Yeah, you- you got to take action. You got to take action right now. That's it. You're never better off waiting till tomorrow. I mean, you know, it's it just take your action, get it over with, and let's make it happen and, and move on to the next thing. Well, this was great. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I say it every time. Thank you to the audience, because if it wasn't for the audience, we wouldn't have a show. We're going to be back in a couple of days with somebody just as cool as Joel Block. But I'm going to challenge you. In the meantime, you go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.